Um, well, hey, super pumped that you guys are here. Um, come on out, Avery. Yeah. Where is he going tonight? Y'all about to find out. Okay. Just relax. It is a kayak. And uh, super pumped where we're going. Avery, thank you. One more time for Avery, everybody. Thanks, Aves. So last week, we kicked off a brand new series, Walk It Like I Talk It, and uh, we are continuing that tonight. I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you know anybody, um, and maybe you're watching online with somebody that this is this person, anybody in your life that just talks a lot, don't raise hands, don't elbow people, um, you can point at yourself. But I don't mean like talks a lot in the sense of like, uh, you know, they're afraid of silence and they're always just talking because, and it's kind of annoying, but uh, they just like to say words and ask a lot of questions. I don't mean that kind of talks a lot. I mean like, do you have anybody in your life that like, yaps a lot, always got something to say, always got something smart to say, talks a lot of trash. Um, like there's never a moment of competition where they are not saying something, try to get in your head, always making something a bigger deal than it really is. I am that person in my own life and everyone's life that I am in. Um, I love to talk trash. I don't know why. I just love it. It's so fun. It's so fun to try to get in people's heads. I, growing up, I was always that kid that loved to talk trash. I still do today. I do it more respectfully today because Jesus has matured me, um, but I'm not above it. Anytime I'm in any kind of competition, I'm gonna talk trash, um, kind of just because it's fun. I'm not disrespectful anymore. But growing up, man, that's what I did. I was always talking, played soccer growing up, was always talking trash to people. Um, it was so much fun to try to get under the skin. And it was just the competition and the, the, the competitive nature of it always kind of took it to the next level, and I loved doing it. However, here was the problem with me growing up um, was every now and then I would talk trash, um, and my mouth would be too big, and I couldn't back it up, right? Um, I remember when I was in middle school, we were playing football outside. Duh, where else would you play? The hallway. And so we were playing football, and I was playing quarterback, <clears throat> Don't know why, um, but I was playing quarterback, and me and this guy named Joseph on the other team, really is his name, if you're watching, Joe, sorry about this, uh, but we kind of started jawing at each other, and I kind of get annoyed at something he said, so I throw the football at him. That was a bad decision. And so he, he kind of comes up to me, but I'm like, all right, let's go. Now, you got to understand, I was... I'm still not big. Like, I, I didn't get much bigger in middle school. Like, I'm a small human being, right? And so in middle school, I was, I was tiny, but I forget how small I was. Like, I forgot that I wasn't big. I forgot that I wasn't strong. So Joseph walks up to me, and I'm like, all right, bro, let's go. So I walk up to him, and we're jawing. And then he, I'm trying to, he pushes me. But I've never, like, been in a fist fight. I've never been punched in the face. I would imagine, like, that would hurt. His push, like, like hurt me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Like when someone pushes you, that part usually doesn't hurt. He pushed me and I was like, oh, you know, like it, I, was, I was genuinely in pain. I'm freaking out on the inside. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna die today. You know, seventh grade, that's the end of it for me. I can't show that on the outside. I'm trying to be like my little bulldog chihuahua self trying to get like real hype, you know? And so we had a couple, a couple, it was a bunch of people came in, a bunch of people on him, maybe one person on me, um, and, and kind of pulling us apart. And you know, I'm trying to like, I'm acting like I wanna keep going. I'm praying, please don't let me go. But oh, you wanna go, Joe? And like, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. You know, I'm like, I'm ready, I'm, I'm getting hype. But inside I'm freaking out. And so the, the whole thing kind of ended and my, uh, one of my buddies, Josh, was there kind of helping breaking it up. And I looked at him, God, I thought it was so cool. I was like, hey man, thanks for having my back, bro. <laughs> and, and, and he looks at me, he's like, 
yeah, okay, but what were you thinking? Joseph would shred you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think you're right. In that moment, I was like that little dog that tries to go up to a big dog and forgets how small they are. Do you know what I mean? Like you're at a small dog, starts going up to bark at a big dog, and you're like, what are, what are you doing? That was me. That was me. And in that moment, I was all bark and no bite. Like that was everything Sam was in that moment, all bark and no bite. I could talk it, but man, when it came down to it, I was in trouble. I thought I was going to die and I had some bruises right here, you know, for because this push was really, really, I still feel it today, you know? All bark, no bite. All bark, no bite. And last week we kicked off Walk It Like I Talk It walking through James and the whole premise of what James is teaching us and what he's challenging Jesus followers in specific is, hey, your faith should have action behind it. That spiritual maturity is not about how much you know. Spiritual maturity is about faith in action. That spiritual maturity is walk it like I talk it. And the unfortunate reality for really all of us at one point or another is that Christians are really, really good at having a big bark with no bite. And the unfortunate reality for many Jesus followers is that that's what defines their faith. A lot of talk and no walk, a big bark, but no bite. And that's what I wanna talk about. I'm kind of titling my message that, all bark and no bite. And what James, we're gonna jump into James chapter two, he's going to show you and he's going to show me what is true of a faith that is all bark and no bite. How would he define a, a faith that is all bark and no bite? What does he have to say about a faith that is all bark and no bite? All talk with no walk, all talk with no action. So we're gonna jump into James chapter two. And man, let me just tell you, I told you at the beginning, James steps on some toes and I would be willing to bet that at some point tonight, you're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable with some of the things that we say, but I want you to lean into that. I want you to lean into that. James chapter two, he jumps in like this. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? Now, remember this, his brothers, sisters, he's talking to, what, he's talking to Jesus followers and, and fellow Christians. That's important, hold on to that for just a moment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? He goes on, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So we ask this rhetorical question. What good is faith that has no action behind it? What good is faith when there's a need and that faith does nothing about it? That word good can also be translated profit. So in other words, hey, what profit is a faith? that has no action behind it? Who profits from faith that has no action behind it? And the rhetorical question is assuming a negative answer. The answer is nobody. The answer is there is no profit that comes from a faith that has no action. And he gives us his example here, that there is someone that comes in with a need and this person who has a need comes to someone who claims to be a person of faith and they do nothing, they just talk. They just bark. Oh, no, no, go in peace. You know, I, 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 it's actually not a good time right now, but I hope this works out for you. 
No, no, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm, I'm actually, it's cold. I gotta get back inside. We're, we're doing dinner. I've got a banana loaf in the oven, but it's, I'm gonna pray for you. Or you know, I'm gonna think, I'm, I'm, t- I'm gonna think about you though. And I can't help you right now, but I'm, you're, you're gonna be in my prayers. I'm gonna get calluses on my knees. I'm gonna be on my knees praying for you so much. I'm, and, and I'm really gonna think about you. I'm gonna write you on my prayer journal. I have this cute little chalkboard um, in the bathroom where I write my prayers. All bark. And what James says, what good is that faith? The rhetorical question assumes a negative answer and the answer is no good and no profit at all. No profit in what sense? No good in what sense? There's kind of two meanings to what James is doing here. The first, the person who is in need, the person who has a need comes to a person of faith. The faith of the Christian profits the person in need nothing. The person who is in need, the faith of the Jesus follower is no good to them because it does not help them at all. So in that sense, what good is the faith of the Jesus follower? Absolutely nothing. There was no good done. There was no action taken. But then the second meaning is directly talking about the person of faith that James is describing. What good is the faith of a Jesus follower that claims to have faith yet sees such a blaring need and does nothing about it? In fact, I read in a commentary that this blaring need was so offensive that even a a pagan, someone who didn't even believe in God would think that this person was being crazy. So James is showing us an extreme case on purpose. And what he's saying is for the person of faith, what profit is their faith to them? Nothing, what does that mean? Ready, follow me. What James is saying is that for the person who claims to have faith yet does nothing in that situation or handles a situation that way, their faith is no good in the sense that their faith is not genuine saving faith. That their faith is not real. Their faith is counterfeit. Their faith is a sham. Their faith is not genuine saving faith. Look what he says next, James chapter two, verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, belief by itself with no action, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith with no action, he says, it is dead. Such strong language, but he wants to be crystal clear. Now, let me be very, very clear. This is a very important disclaimer, and I want everyone just to kind of tune in for just a second. If you're watching online, don't miss this. James is not saying that you have to be good in order to be saved. He's not saying you've got to be good in order to be a Jesus follower. He's not saying in order to earn your way to God, you've got to do good things. That's not what James is saying here. What he is saying is what should be true of you if you are a Jesus follower. He's saying this is what should be true of your faith if you have genuine faith. And if it isn't true of your faith, that means you did not have genuine faith to begin with. That's a really important distinction. Because the gospel is never we've gotta do good enough to get to God or be good enough to stay with God. That's impossible, we're always going to fall short. But what he's saying is when you have genuine saving faith in Jesus, it should be evidenced by action. Say it this way, workless faith is a worthless faith. Does that make you uncomfortable? Makes me uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable to say it. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just saying what James said. 
it does not get much more worthless than dead. A workless faith is a worthless faith. It's a dead faith. And James's point, again, is this. Genuine faith in Jesus is evidenced by action. Let me give you a couple word pictures that might help. You ever been to the doctor and they, they check your pulse, heartbeat, vital signs? What are vital signs? Vital signs are evidence of life. And if there's no vital signs, we gotta check out what's going on here because, because there is no life. Vital signs are evidence of life. What James is saying, the vital signs of our faith is faith in action. The vital signs of our faith is living out the message of Jesus. The vital signs of our faith is fruit, deeds. Here's another word picture. I want you to imagine a plant that is dead. A dead plant is not going to produce fruit. It is dead. It's worthless. It can't bear good things because it's dead, but a living plant is living. Duh. A living plant is alive, and a living plant can bear fruit. Good things come from the living plant in the same way. A dead faith means there's no evidence. There's no deeds. It's all talk. And James says, man, that faith is worthless. And then watch that. He, I'm telling y'all, he takes it a step further. He says this in the very next verse, verse 18. But someone will say, hey, you have faith. I have deeds. Like, it's fine. We'll just split the difference. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You want to tell me how much you talk? You want to show me how much you talk? Cool. I'm going to walk and let that show you what I talk about. I'm gonna let my walking do the talking. You wanna talk it, that's great. I'm gonna walk it like I talk it, and then you tell me which one's genuine. You tell me which one is authentic. You tell me which one actually helps. You tell me which one is compelling. James says, you could talk all day, that's fine. I'm gonna show you what I believe by the way that I walk. I'm gonna show you what's true about my faith by the way that I live. And then, <laughs> this is awesome, you ready for this? He makes an incredible argument in the very next verse. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Man, I love that. Cool, you believe there's a God? You've got belief? Awesome. Demons and the devil believe in the same God. Now, I'm not trying to get into spiritual warfare at the moment, but just roll with me for just a second. Have you ever thought about the reality that demons and the devil believe the same things about God and Jesus that you do? They believe the same things about God and Jesus as you and as me. They know what they're up against. They know what he is capable of, and they are terrified of Jesus, which is why they shudder. So what is James saying? Cool, just belief, you're in great company. Belief is only part of the equation. Belief is only part of the equation. Genuine faith is not one part belief. Genuine faith is belief plus action. Faith in action, 
Genuine faith equals faith plus action. Genuine faith, real saving faith, a life that has been changed by Jesus is walk it like I talk it. Write this down. Genuine faith works. Genuine faith works. Genuine faith works to save you, one, but genuine faith works. There are your, your life produces fruit. Your life produces good. Genuine faith, real saving faith in Jesus works. But just to be clear, genuine faith works not in order to be saved or to stay saved. Genuine faith works because we are saved. Not to be saved or to stay saved, but because we are saved, because we are followers of Jesus. So this verse got me thinking. I was asking this question as I was writing this message. Okay, I've read that verse so many times, man, but it just, different times, different things just hit differently. And I'm just reading that verse and I'm just, I'm blown away by the logic and the boldness with which James is writing. And I asked myself, okay, so the demons believe things about Jesus, but they don't follow him. They have belief, but there's no action. So I, what does, when does belief lead to action? Is what I started asking myself. Like, what's the discrepancy? Okay, belief is only half the equation, but at what point does belief turn into action? Here's the answer. Surrender. Surrender. Write this down. Behind a faith that works is a heart that is surrendered. Behind a faith that works is a heart that is surrendered. That's why the enemy and demons, they're in constant rebellion against the things of God because there's no surrender. They believe things that are true about God. They know about who he is, which is why they're scared, but they're not surrendered to his will. They haven't surrendered their lives to his way. There's no surrender. Constant rebellion. Belief is a matter of the mind. Surrender is a matter of the heart. And when those two things are in sync, your life and the world are never the same. Because behind a faith that works is a heart that is surrendered to say, not my way, but yours. I know what's James doing with this text. I think he was trying to give us just kind of straight up theology around what genuine saving faith is. But you remember I told you to pay attention. He said brothers and sisters. He was writing this to Jesus' followers. So when James wrote this, I don't think he wrote this thinking that the people reading this, that their faith was dead. No, no, I think he believed they had genuine saving faith. I think James was trying to wake them up. I think James was writing to these Jesus followers that had kind of lost their way, that have gotten too caught up in belief and were no longer allowing it to be evidenced by their works. They just kind of hit this roadblock, this rut in their faith. And I think what he's trying to say is, hey, you're living like somebody whose faith is dead. Wake up. Take inventory of your life. Take inventory of your faith. You need to kind of do a faith check, a heart check. What are the things in your life that you are not surrendering? I don't think he was trying to tell them that their faith is dead. I think he was trying to tell them, hey, you're acting like your faith is dead. It's time, it's time to take things seriously. It's time to do some introspection and it's time to ask some questions. Do you guys know, 
I'm a big lawn guy, big lawn guy. I love my grass. Laid my front yard, my bare hands are in quarantine. Yeah, Frank's laughing because I bring up my grass every other message. It's either my grass or my kids, they show up in every message. No shame, that's where I'm at right now, people. Take it or leave it, okay? I've got zoysia, front yard and backyard. Love it. I am fancy, I'm not kidding. I take my grass really seriously. Um, I want it to be the best on the street. I'm in a competition with my whole street, but none of them know about the competition, okay? (laughs) But it's fun. But what you'll notice now is warm season grasses like Bermuda and Zoysia, they're that brown yellow color. you see here with Stock City all over your parents. I mean, it's, it's the, the warm season grasses are the most popular grasses here in the South. And so the warm season grasses are green during the warm season and then they turn that brown yellowish color during the winter. But they're not dead. The grass isn't dead, it's just dormant. The grass isn't dead, it's just dormant, that it's still got everything that it needs deep down within inside of its roots to come back to that green, luscious color that it will turn back into whenever this, the weather gets warmer. It's still got everything it needs. It's not dead. It's just dormant. And as I look out at you and as I talk to some of you through a camera or as you're listening to this on podcast, I don't want you leaving here tonight or listening to this as you're driving to class, questioning your faith and wondering whether or not you're saved because you messed up yesterday or because you weren't nice to your roommate. No, 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 I believe there is genuine faith all over this room and I'm not even saying it's dead, but I do think for some of you it's dormant. I think in 2020 your faith might have gone a little dormant. I think in 2020, we all struggled a little bit and we felt a disconnect between the rhythm of our lives and not being connected to the church and we weren't really sure what to do. And for many of us, our faith went a little dormant. And what I wanna tell you and what I believe James is trying to tell you is, hey, it's time to wake up. That you've still got everything you need inside of you because the Holy Spirit is alive in you to wake up. But we've gotta take some personal inventory. We've gotta ask some difficult questions. We've gotta be honest with ourselves. I don't think your faith is dead. I think for some of you it's dormant. And it's time to wake up. So what does dormant faith look like? Four things, I want you to write these down. And I want you to be honest, as as we're working through these, if there's one that convicts you, if there's one that kind of makes you hate me, circle it and highlight it. If there's something that makes you uncomfortable, lean into that. Why? Because there's something there for you. So what does dormant faith look like? Dormant faith consumes but doesn't contribute. Dormant faith consumes but doesn't contribute. Somebody with a dormant faith, they wanna consume church and you wanna consume content and you wanna consume sermons and consume experiences, but contributing to the kingdom and contributing to the church is not a priority. Your priority is just let me just consume as much as I can. I'm uninterested in contributing. 
that I think in the church of America today, we've got a consumption problem amongst Jesus followers. That we're so great at showing up, but we're not really great at inviting. If I could take it a step further and make it worse, we're so great at showing up to consume, but we don't wanna invite people because it's an inconvenience to bring somebody new and have to babysit them all night. That's a consumption problem. We love to consume, but man, we're not really great at serving. That's a consumption problem. We're really good at consuming and getting what we want out of church, but we're not really good at giving. That's a consumption problem. We're really, really good at complaining when church isn't operating the way that we want it to operate. That's a consumption problem. If I could just be real and honest and vulnerable with all of you for just a moment, one of the most frustrating things for me in 2020 was as our church leadership and particularly our senior pastor. Pastor Gavin Adams tried to figure out how to navigate the craziness of doing church in a pandemic and making difficult decisions about staying closed because it really was for the well-being of our entire community. What made me so angry was people that were a part of this church that called themselves Jesus followers, complained, sent mean emails, questioned leadership, questioned Gavin's leadership, and decided they were just gonna leave because this church wouldn't open, rather than stick around to help us figure out how to reach people in a pandemic. Consumption problem, and it drives me crazy. Dormant faith. Second thing that characterizes a dormant faith, I want you to write it down. Dormant faith faces inward, not outward. Dormant faith faces inward, all about us, our interests, our well-being, but rarely faces outward. But let me remind you, Jesus was laser-focused on the outsider. Jesus was laser-focused on seeking and saving the lost. In fact, he butted, heads, he butted heads with the religious leaders that thought they had it all together. Tax collectors and sinners loved him. He dined with them, he interacted with them, he saw them, he noticed them, and he consistently put himself second. But our default, and your default, and my default, is to watch out for number one. What's in my best interest? What do I want? Let me make sure I'm taken care of, and then maybe if there's energy left, if there's resources left, if there's emotion left, if there's time left, then I'm gonna go to everybody else. A dormant faith is only concerned on facing the inward and rarely the outward. The third thing that a dormant faith does, it chooses convenience over obedience. A dormant faith is not interested in following Jesus courageously. A dormant faith just wants comfortable. A dormant faith just wants what is most convenient. A dormant faith says, I just wanna get out of here unscathed. I'm telling you, the best thing that you will ever do is follow Jesus. But there will be many times, and this is still true for me today, it will conflict with your personal preferences. Just will. We're, we're, we're broken human beings and we're consistently on this side of heaven going to want things contrary to the spirit. But a dormant faith consistently chooses my way, consistently chooses the easy way and consistently fails to die to ourselves. Which one hits you the most? Take inventory, the fourth one and the last one. A dormant faith hears, but doesn't listen. Um, I hate to admit this, but this happens between me and my wife all the time. 
She never listens to me. <laughs> yeah, y'all laughing because like, you lie. <laughs> Complete opposite. I hate to admit this. It happens more often than I would like to admit. There are times when Julie's talking to me or telling me the things that I, she wants to get done around the house or the plans that she has for the week or the things that I need to do with the girls. And I always hear her, but I'm not always listening. And when I just hear her, but I'm not listening, it means I'm not focused. It means I'm not paying attention. It means I'm not processing. It means I'm not putting a game plan in my head of how to execute whatever it is that she's asked me to do. When I hear her, it goes in one ear, out the other. And sometimes it's because I'm distracted. Sometimes it's because I had a long day and I'm just choosing to be lazy. As Jesus followers, we're really good at hearing. But man, we're always not so great at listening. We read and we memorize and we, 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 we sit here and we, we hear the sermon. But so much of what we take in, we receive at a surface level because it never moves from here to here. It kind of goes from here to here. I want you to sit with those at some point this week. And maybe you already know, man. Maybe you already know which one you're struggling with. You're going to get a chance right after this, after small group, to discuss this. And those of you watching online, maybe you're with some people. You need to have a conversation about this. Self-inventory and try to figure out where you are at. Now, that's what characterizes a dormant faith. What are four things that characterize a living faith? Ready? Write these down. Living faith contributes to the kingdom. And can I just challenge you? And I know it's kind of weird right now with the pandemic because we're like, oh, when is church going to start back up like normal? And, you know, Woodstock City, we're starting services, but they're still, you know, we're still trying to figure things out. But here, whatever pace you need, but here's what I want you to do at some point this year because we're going to get back to normal at some point this year. I want you to get involved. Like, I want you to start serving. I don't want you just to be consumers of this church. One of the most rewarding things of my time in college was actually getting plugged into the local church and serving. You know, there are so many environments around this church that could use surrendered hearts and willing college students to come in and invest. There are preschoolers that need you. There are elementary age kids that need you. There are middle school kids that need you. There are high school kids that need you. There are so many opportunities to come in and not just be a consumer of this church, but to say, hey, you know what? I wanna help build up this church. I wanna help build up the kingdom. I wanna help build up the next generation. I want you to get involved, man. I want you to go on a mission trip. We couldn't do one last year and we can't do one this year because of COVID, but our hope is to do one next year. I hope so many of y'all sign up for a mission trip to go to Costa Rica that we got to take two trips. I want Delta to be like, oh man, y'all got the whole main cabin because I want you to experience Jesus in another culture. I want you to experience broaden your horizon and experience God working in a place that is not your home. Man, whenever we can open back TLR, man, I want y'all to invite your friends. Why? Not because numbers matter, but because we're building up the kingdom of God. That when we get back into our normal rhythm and we start doing TLR at home sporadically throughout the semester like we have been, I want you to actually invite people to your apartment and help us create pockets of belonging all across this city. Look, I don't want you guys to be Christian moochers. I want you to be kingdom builders. We need y'all. 
And not only do we need you, I want it for you and for your heart. So come on. A living faith contributes to the kingdom. Second thing that characterizes a living faith, a living faith, faith faces out and sees people. I don't know how Androids work. I'm a Jesus follower. But um, iPhones, <laughs> y'all got that? That was funny. I'm kidding. Relax, chill. Okay, we love you too. The fisheye uh, setting on the camera. That you, you, you've got the, you know, you're the same distance away, but when you hit the fisheye lens on the camera, all of a sudden it widens the, the angle. You can see more. You didn't get closer. You didn't get farther away. No, no, you're the same distance away, but all of a sudden your perspective is wider. You can see more. Living faith is kind of like that fisheye lens. You can see more. You're paying attention to more. Like you've got a wide angle lens on the world. You've got a wide angle lens on the people in your class. You've got a wide angle lens on the people in your sorority. You've got a wide angle lens on the people in your fraternity. You've got a wide angle lens on the needs right in front of you. I want us to start paying attention. I want us to, start, I want us to have a head on a swivel. Who needs your attention? Who needs an invitation? Who needs an investment? And who has a need that you can help meet? Living faith faces out and sees people. Third, actually before I move on, some of y'all are like, hey, can I see your iPhone? I wanna see this fish lens that he's talking about. Um, third, a living faith chooses obedience over convenience. You probably saw that one coming, but it doesn't make it any less true. That what conviction do you keep on ignoring? Where are you not dying to yourself? What are you not surrendering to Jesus? I'm telling y'all, man, following Jesus is hard, but in this dying to yourself, choosing to be obedient to where he's leading you, to where he's calling you, to, to how he wants you to use your giftings, it's gonna lead you into purpose. It's gonna lead you into opportunity. And Jesus himself said, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will ultimately find it, will ultimately save it. That Jesus, write this down, Jesus invites you to lose your life with a purpose. So let's start choosing courage. Let's start choosing obedience over convenience. And then the last one, living faith listens and applies. Living faith listens and applies. You read and you, and you learn and you, you study and you've got the sermons, but you start taking all of that in through this lens. How can I apply this today? How can I apply this today? How can this change my relationships? How can this change my view of God? How can this change the way that I love? How can this change the way that I approach every single day? You ready? Write this down. Interaction with God's word should lead to action in your life. That's a whole sermon in and of itself, man. Interaction with God's word should lead to action in your life. Interaction with the very gospels that tell us about Jesus should lead to action in your life. Interaction with the writings of Paul and Peter and James and John who spent time with Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, that should lead to action in your life. Ultimately, here's what's true. A living faith grows you and it builds the kingdom. And that is the faith that James has called us to because that is the faith that Jesus challenges us to. Everything about his talk 
matched his walk. So much so that he took it to the final moments of his life where he gave it up for you and for me. So I kind of sum it up. Your faith should inform your works and your works should reflect your faith. Your faith should inform your works and your works should reflect your faith. There's this dance between the two. It's not one or the other. No, 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 in genuine faith, man, it's this dance. One informs the other, the other reflects the other, and you can't have one without the other. Um, got this boat up here. It's an inflatable kayak. Y'all seen it? Yeah. <clears throat> I am not an outdoorsy person, by the way. Um, I've never been in one of these in my life on water. This is a sea eagle, though. We're about to have some fun with the sea eagle. This is that dance between the two, okay? Now, if I were to sit in one of these, I'm going to die today. Okay, when I sit in one of these, I look so unnatural, don't I? Yeah, what's up? I know how to, I can do this. Let's get it. See, I know what I'm doing. Um, this is what James is teaching us. That you've got action and belief. That this, this, this raft here, kayak, whatever the heck it's called, it kind of represents your faith. But these paddles here are the important part. Because in order to move forward, they've got to move in unison. That in order to move forward, they are connected to each other. They work together. It is one, it's not which one is first and which one is more important. It is they work in unison together to move forward. And when you are just rowing one, what do you do? You go in a circle. When you just go with one, you're not moving forward. When you just go with one, you're not growing. When you just go with one, you're not going where you want to go. Take action. Remember, one reflects the other and one informs the other. You can't separate the two. Like without faith, without the lens of faith, you can live your life the action of your life without the lens of faith, man, you could really do whatever you want. Like without the lens of the gospels, without the worldview that we should love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second commandment is like it, that we should love others um, as we love ourselves. If we don't have the lens that Jesus told us, hey, you need to live your life loving people the way that I loved you. Like if we don't have that lens, if we don't have the lens of Jesus saying, listen, dying to me and living my way is better than anything else. That's where you're gonna find life to the full. Like if we ignore all of that, that belief doesn't inform our actions. Man, you really should just consume all that you want. Why wouldn't you? Like you should worry just about you. Why wouldn't you? You should just obey yourself and do whatever you want and date the way that you want and treat people however you want and have sex the way that you, whatever you want and just live your life for you. You can live that way and you can live your life and have actions that way that are totally disconnected from the belief of faith. But I'm telling you, you're gonna go in a circle and you're not gonna get to the places in life that you ultimately want to be. And I'm not being sarcastic. Actions not connected to the worldview of the gospel is going to leave you circling and not knowing where to go and why life isn't working out for you. But the flip side isn't any better. 
the flip side, man, if, 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 if our faith is just belief and no action, belief in no works, belief in no deeds. Man, you heard it from James. That's not the faith we've been called to. That's not the faith that's gonna leave a mark on this world. That's not the faith that's gonna lead to generational change in your family and your future family. That's not the life that's gonna lead to fullness and to freedom. It, hear me, it might be the faith to get you to heaven, but that's never what it's been all about. And you too will just go in a circle, not going where you wanna go, not going where you wanna be, not experiencing all that God has you to experience, however, when they are in unison. And let me encourage some of you. I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about progress. I'm not talking about, man, if I get it wrong, oh, I messed up my works, I messed up my belief, then my boat's gonna start sinking. No, no, what we're describing, these two working in unison is the process of sanctification which is the process of you and I growing to look more like Jesus every single day. And the more we practice this motion, the more we practice um, in making sure our belief informs our faith and our faith reflects our belief, we start to grow. Like I wanna consume and you should consume, but as you consume, I want you to Invest. As I consume, I want to contribute. As I consume, I want to serve. As I consume, I want to give. As I consume, I want to be a part of the solution and not just the problem. And as you do, your faith grows. These two working in concert and in unity is a powerful thing. Okay, I know Jesus commanded me to love, but I'm not just gonna believe it. I'm gonna love my roommate even though they're really, really annoying right now. I'm gonna look to the interests of others even when it's inconvenient. And when those two are working together in concert and in unity, you move forward. Yeah, I understand the point that that life isn't about me and it's not just about my convenience, but actually live it. What does it look like to choose courage? Remind yourself that life isn't about your convenience and then follow Jesus even when it costs you. When you're moving in that direction and these are moving in unison, you start to move forward. Yeah, I'm gonna spend time in the scriptures, but I'm not gonna just read it. I'm gonna read it and consume it, then I'm gonna apply it. I'm gonna listen and apply, listen and apply. And as you do that, here's what starts to happen. By the way, James's favorite nursery rhyme was row, row, row your boat, people. Do you know why? Because James understood that when faith informs your, your, your actions and your actions reflect your faith, watch this, your faith starts to move forward. You start to grow. You start to mature. Your intimacy with God is greater. Your reputation as a Jesus follower increases. And life isn't always going to be easy, but on this journey is more purpose and on this journey is less wasted time. So let's go. Oops, you might get out of here. Real talk, quad started cramping. Really impressed I made it through that illustration. So ma'am, where does that land with you tonight? Where have you not surrendered? And if I could just speak to the Jesus follower in the room for just a moment, which of those four things describes potentially a dormant faith for you? And be honest with yourself. What steps can you begin to take to say, you know what, I'm not gonna live like my faith is dead anymore, no, no. 
It is time for me to wake up because this is way bigger than just me. If there's an opportunity before you, there's a kingdom that is gonna get built with or without you, but God has invited you to be a part of it. There's future marriages at stake. The health of future marriages at stake. There's influence at stake. There's future opportunity at stake. So what might it look like? Again, not to pursue perfection, but to pursue progress. And so sorry, sorry to say, you know what? I will not be the kind of Jesus follower that just talks it. No, 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 no. I don't want anybody to wonder whether or not my faith is dead. No, I'm gonna start to walk it like I talk it. A dormant faith might get you to heaven, but I don't know about you, this is just me. I don't wanna be a Jesus follower that treats my time on earth like a waiting room. Because there is work that needs to be done in here and out there. So come on, wake up. What do you need to surrender? And what part of your faith has started to go dormant? Holy Spirit's still in here. It's not dead. Don't believe for a second that it is. And then there might be some of you in the room, some of you watching. Your faith's not dormant. It's not living. It actually is dead because you've never had a faith. Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before. And for you, man, you've been over here circling the waters of life, just living your life without the lens of faith, without the lens of what Jesus taught, without the lens of what the gospels teach. And you've just been over here wondering, why am I going in a circle? Another broken relationship, uh, another bad situation, more drama, more hurt, more pain, more confusion, and I just can't seem to get it right. If that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity tonight to surrender your life to Jesus, to surrender your life to the one that wants to help you turn it around. Now we believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins to save us. That sin stood in the way between us and our heavenly father, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna come live a perfect life and I'm gonna die a death that we all deserved. He went to the grave and then on the third day he resurrected. He defeated death. And when he defeated death, he was proclaiming to the world, anybody who would put their faith in me, death no longer has the final say in your story. That you get to experience the fullness and the freedom that comes by way of Jesus. So if that's you in the room tonight, if that's you watching online tonight, I just wanna give you an opportunity just to place your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna say a prayer in just a second. The prayer isn't magic, but it just helps you verbalize what God is already doing in your heart. So we're just gonna bow our heads and close our eyes just for a second. If you're watching online, man, this is you do the same thing. I just want you to repeat this prayer after me, just kind of in your own heart. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. I believe that your work on the cross was enough to save me from my sin. I wanna surrender my life to you and commit to following you as best as I can. 
keep your heads down and eyes closed. Um, if that was you, no one's looking, and I'm, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up tonight, so don't worry about any of that. But if that's you, would you just look up at me and give me a little hand raise if that was you in the room? And then if you're online and that was you, would you let us know in the chat? Just put up in the chat, it was me. It was me. Throw up the word surrender, whatever it is, because our team wants to connect with you. That's awesome. Yeah, bro, I see you. Come see me after. Anybody else that did that, come see us after. Talk to your leader about it. We wanna connect with you because that is the greatest thing, the greatest decision, the greatest moment of your life. Y'all can look up at me. Um, we're gonna sing a couple more songs and give you a chance just to respond with whatever you need tonight. I hope tonight challenged you, but I hope it encouraged you. It's not perfection, it's progress. And I'm speaking to myself, let's wake up. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for James. Thank you for his strong words. Thank you that he held nothing back. I pray tonight you would give us the courage and the conviction to face it, to face the truth, to face the reality of where we currently are. And I pray you would help us wake up. And for the souls tonight that you saved for the first time, for the souls that surrendered their lives to you for the first time, Father, we praise you for that. And we're so grateful that their story just began, that you're gonna write a new story. You're gonna do a new thing. And we're excited to be here for it. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.